I haven't spoken here for a quarter of a year. I got written off the rotor. How did that Ah, <laughs> uh, It's good to be back, though. I've been saving it up. I really sense that, uh, man, that was great, Sam. Thank you so much for leading us in that. Come on. I just love it when the songs just perfectly kind of declare what God's doing, you know, amongst us. It's, it's really powerful. Um, so, yeah, we're, um, I, you know, this thing about praying is, is like, seriously, kind of, listen up. Something's going on here that we're praying for things and things are happening like quite quickly. We need to believe it and we need to grab hold of it. It's kind of like a window of opportunity. Remember me saying that sometime before Christmas, I just had this feeling that we're in a Jeremiah 33-3 season where it's like, call to me and I will show you great and mighty things which you haven't even heard of. You know, it's like he's, he, he's going to do stuff amongst us. And, um, you know, it's been confirmed many times and we've had this season of prayer where we've been beginning to pray for things. And certainly in business, oh my goodness, I mean, like we've been praying in our business and seeing prayers answered before our eyes. You know, in one prayer meeting, we were praying for about three or four things. Two of them were answered in the prayer meeting. It's like the the results came actually then and then. The next one came the following Saturday, so Thursday morning. So three out of the four were answered like that. And some of them have been hanging on for a very long time. We've just put in a, a, a big bid to do a system for this company, Cavendish Nuclear. And seriously, that I, I first quoted for that job 25 years ago. <laughs> seriously, 25 years ago, I, when I was working for Siemens, I went in to quote for that exact same job, and it hasn't been done. And, uh, and even, even now, as Chart House, probably for the last five years... We've been working on kind of getting this together. And we just prayed one Thursday morning and said, we need this job to come through. We need that. We need it to be expedited. That's what we wrote on our board. We've got a prayer board in our uh, boardroom. And, um, and uh, like the following Saturday, in pops this email with an invitation to tender. Kind of the funding's been agreed. And so we just had to get our plan together and submit it. And that was submitted this week. So... It's amazing. Stuff is happening. Stuff is happening, and we need to get on with it. We need to receive it and say, hang on, it's not quite the same as it was before. You know, it's like something, there's a new kind of season that's on us, and we need to, we need to try it, experiment with it, you know, push some things. So I, I'm thinking, what can I pray for now? What, what do we need to happen, you know? And, well, there's plenty, isn't there? So this month we're looking at the subject of family. And we've spoken to about family a number of times before in our history. <coughs> but family is really very central to who we are. We are the Lighthouse Family Church, central word in the title. Um, and it, it has always been that way. You know, when we very first started, there was um, you know 20 or 30 people and most of those were sort of under 12 it was chaos there was children everywhere we never knew what we were doing it was like kids running around a lot of noise and you know and we 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 purposed at that time to 
put family first and kind of make sure the kids were involved and uh, were kind of getting as much from it. If the adults could glean something from it, then that was good. <laughs> okay, that was a result as well. But primarily we focused on the children. And, you know, here we are 22 years later, um, probably around about the same time as I was uh, bidding that job with Siemens when, when the Lighthouse Church started. But... Um, you know, it is still central. It is still central to what we are, family. I've, uh, I want to look at that a little bit today about kind of what is heaven's government like. Okay, I, you know, I've been struck recently by what's going on <laughs> in our nation. Oh, my goodness. It's like, it's very unsettling, isn't it? Um, when you kind of look at our government, the, the nation's government, and you think, Oh, my days. It's like no one is talking to each other. No one is working together. Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And there is this, like, it's not like there's two sides that are fighting each other. There's about 12 sides. And they're all pulling in opposite directions. And it's just got very unpleasant, hasn't it? It's just, I, I find it has. And all the kind of stuff that comes out on the media and they're just constantly restating the problem over and over and over and over again. And it's, I feel like some of that angst that is uh, in our government and therefore in our media is overspilling into life, you know? I feel like it's beginning to affect people around us. It's like I've heard people kind of talking about each other in a way that they would never have done before all this started. There is a spirit of the world which is starting to kind of spread out of the government and into the whole nation and into the church, I think, as well. There are, there are things kind of going on. And I, I, you know, I've even noticed it, this kind of spirit of contention, if you, if you like. Um, I've had to, I'll, I'll get on to this in a minute, but I've had to spend a little bit of time with my family and my parents over these last few weeks. And... Uh, you know, we, we, we generally, we get on pretty well, our family does. I mean, we've, we've, we quite like each other. We get together, we have meals together and stuff like that. But in this time, seriously, we, we've been kind of discussing things. And we can start off with the same thing that we're trying to go for and end up arguing about it. And I'm thinking, what's something weird going on here? Anyway. What I think, it, it made me think, what is the government of heaven like? Because, you know, with all of these different things going on in the world, the thing that we've always said is, you know, we, we, we don't necessarily kind of want British culture. We don't necessarily want, you know, Israeli culture. We don't want kind of any other culture other than the culture of heaven. That is what we're looking at. And that's, that's what we want to see brought about on earth and it, it suddenly struck me that really the government of heaven is very much family based isn't it because it started off there was a father there was a son and there was the holy spirit and they're together in perfect unity and they kind of got together and said what can we do and they said i know let's make man in our image okay so they said let's make man a bit like we are and they were the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they were in perfect unity. And they created man and woman, put them in the garden, in exactly that image, in perfect unity. The perfect family, the perfect relational 
way of getting on and working together and doing stuff. And it suddenly struck me that that's you know how heaven's government is. It is very relational. It is very family-based. And that is what we should be pursuing. That is what, uh, I mean, in every other aspect, we are kind of going after the kingdom of heaven, aren't we? We just, we want to see healing breaking out on the streets. We want to see deliverance for people who've been oppressed for a long time. We want to, um, we, we want to see provision and multiplication of funds and, and food and all sorts of things to, to kind of meet some of the needs that we're meeting on the streets. And so we're praying and we're saying, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And it's, you know, in every other aspect of the physical things that are going on, we want to see the kingdom of heaven come. So why not in the government as well, in our government and in the way that we govern ourselves? So what is heaven's government like? I, I mean, it is a family and God has made us in that very same image. And we just need to remind ourselves that, that we're made in the image of God. And how we conduct ourselves should be with that in mind. That's the template. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in perfect unity. Amazing honor between all of them. Just preferring one another, building one another up, just constantly encouraging, st stirring one another up to, uh, to be successful, to do the right thing, to, uh, well, you can imagine, can't you? I mean, God's God, he's perfect in, in every way. But that is our template. That is what we are looking for and how we, as a group of people, should be relating together. Or, and we've spoken about this before, haven't we? The culture of honor is, is just an amazing thing which has revolutionized so much of our lives uh, and change the way that we think and the way that we relate together and I think has changed the atmosphere of the Lighthouse Church over a, over a five-year period. It's been fantastic to see people really honoring one another. You know, when one person's kind of getting up and going for something over here, someone else backs up. There's no, no cr cutting across. There's no uh, trying to pull it off in a different direction. It's kind of a working together, honoring one another. And we've, we've taught a lot on the culture of honor, but sometimes we need to remind ourselves about it. We need to come back. And when, when we see kind of some of the, dare I say, vitriol that <laughs> is flying around social media and, and kind of arguments and criticisms and judgments, and I'm thinking, oh, is this, is this kind of, does this, does this make the Holy Spirit comfortable? I, and honestly, I, I don't have a really strong feeling about any of the stuff that's going on because I know God's in control. I know he's doing something in our nation and I can get myself to a place of peace and whether we stay in and whether we come out, it really doesn't bother me. It honestly doesn't because I know he's in control and he's bigger than all of this stuff. Now, of course, I've got my opinions and I, you know, that, but it doesn't bother me. It really doesn't because God is good and he is doing something in this time and so I can find that place of peace and I can say okay yeah I, I listen to your views I listen to your views and and it's all good it's good to have those views but at the same time we're family we're family we're really we really are family it's like 
And I, we've used the uh, little illustration before, you know, that mum and dad can, can have a couple of children and one can be conservative and one could be labor. I've never quite seen it happen. Generally, it goes a bit generationally, doesn't it? You, you tend to kind of come up the way that your parents did and everything. And, th you know, it would make for some very lively dinnertime conversation, I dare say, if you had a staunch socialist and a, and a Tory sitting around the dinner table. You, but they're still family. They're still family. I've, you know, I've had uh, a, f a time come up recently, uh, for some of you know, but um, a few weeks ago, my, my mum, who's uh, 90 years old, in her wisdom decided to get up in the middle of the night and come down the stairs in the dark and was counting the stairs and lost count halfway down and missed the bottom step and fell over and broke her hip at 90 years old and had to go through a very, very kind of major operation, a half hip replacement under a local anaesthetic, which must have been quite traumatic in itself, kind of hearing all that chiseling going on and oof, don't, don't go there. And, um, and then also having a kind of a very tough time afterwards, actually, in the tr w recovering. She was in hospital for a week. And, of course, um, our, our medical people will probably know this, that sometimes when you've had an operation and you're on kind of opiate painkillers, you can go a little bit kind of start seeing things. And um, that was my mum. She was there. She was, I thought I'd lost her at one stage. I thought she'd gone completely, but she was just tripping out. She was, like, probably having a great time. But... Uh, <laughs> But anyway, you know, what, one of the things that we've had to do is suddenly kind of pull together. And I had, to, I had to drop everything. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on at the moment, <laughs> a lot of stuff that I'm trying to focus on. And, you know, all of this stuff with the business, things with the church, things with the land, you know. There are still things that are going on that need attention. But my family is my family. And when my mum needs help, and my dad's 90 as well, and doesn't even know how to turn the dishwasher on, let alone kind of, you know, stack it and fill it and, get, and make the dinner and stuff. So we had to move, and we had to get that. And it's sometimes kind of a bit inconvenient, and sometimes it's, you know, hard work, and sometimes it's painful, and sometimes it's scary. I was, like, quite scared when I was... I, I was there for the few days when my mum was really kind of uh, seeing things, and it was a scary moment. It was, and but she's family, and there's a there's a kind of bottom line there that says you got you kind of move heaven and earth because they're family. Now, God calls us a family, doesn't he? He he sees us as a family. He sees us. He says we've been adopted into his family and so we are family together and you know when we're talking about God's relational government I think that is our template for how we need to look at ourselves and how we need to uh, conduct ourselves and how we need to really support one another and encourage one another and help one another when there's difficulties going on and stuff and there is a lot of stuff going on in our lives and there's no one here who hasn't got kind of a lot of commitments going on but we're family yeah. we're family and that's got to mean something at the end of the day and i think it gets kind of turned into obviously honor and respect that's we've got to look after one another and build one another up in love 
But also, it means action as well. And when someone's in trouble, we need to kind of move and we need to actually do something and turn that on. And uh, it, it's very easy, and I, my life is probably more so than a lot of people's because I've got kind of a lot of major things going on. It's so easy to get really busy and really kind of tied up in your commitments and everything. But we mustn't forget that we're family together. You know, the, uh, one of the things that we've often said with the culture of honor, um, it, it's strange, isn't it, that there is that scripture, honor your mother and father, that it may go well with you in the land that you might have a long life. And, oh, man, why was it your mother and father that that came about? You know, it's like, because that's hard work sometimes. But it's the first command that Jesus said with a promise. There is a promise that if we can activate this culture of honor amongst us and in our lives in general, there is, there is a promise that things will go well with you in the land. It, that's why it is the government of heaven. That is why it's how they all operate together. Because in that atmosphere of honor, life flows it's like that scripture in Psalms where it says how blessed it is when the brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the anointing oil pouring down Aaron's head over his beard, down his clothes and onto the floor. It, uh, uh, it says there the Lord commands a blessing, life forevermore. It's the same thing, isn't it? It's like honor your mother and father that all may go well with you in the land and you might have long life. Well, Blessed are the brothers who dwell together in unity. That unity of the spirit, in that place, the Lord commands a blessing. It's, it's a spiritual law that is activated in our lives all around. It's not something, oh, you know, those guys aren't getting on very well. I'm going to give them some trouble to, to sort out. It's not like a punishment. It's, it's a law. It's like the law of gravity, you know. You pick something up, you drop it, it falls to the ground. It's like... You're not going to chuck it on the ground just to punish it. It's a law. You drop it, it falls. It's the same way where there is that honor, there is this flow of life that goes after it. And that's why we need to just keep drawing ourselves back and saying, are we operating in that same culture of honor? Are we still operating in that place of unity where we're always thinking the best of each other? Where we're, when, when in our language are we reporting to other people, you know, good things about one another and building one another up in love. That's what the culture of honor is about. Now, does it mean that we never talk about any problems? No, of course it doesn't. But you don't need to talk about problems about someone else with someone else. You can talk about it with the person if, if there's a problem. You can do that. That's how unity gets worked out. See, I'm not talking about uniformity, where everyone is exactly the same. You can't have unity if there's uniformity, because there's nothing to actually decide to do. And I've said all the way along, we are probably the most diverse collection of people you will ever come across sitting in a room together. But we can be in unity because we choose to be in unity, and we choose to bear with one another. We choose to honor one another and build one another up in those things. And this is the government of heaven. And it's the government that we want to be operating in the Lighthouse Church. 
Jesus said when he went back to his hometown, you know, and it says um, that when he went back to Nazareth, uh, presumably where, where he grew up, he said he couldn't do many miracles there because everyone just knew him. They said, oh, it's Jesus. That's the carpenter's son. You know, it's like, well, pff, who's he? What's he think he's doing, you know? And he was unable to do many miracles in that place. And Jesus himself said, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. And it was because of that lack of honor. It was that lack of expectation and, and pulling. And, we, and we've, we've had this thing, haven't we, that, you know, honor is a little bit like a length of pipe with a water source up at the top. And it's got a tap at the top and a tap at the bottom. And you need both taps to be turned on in order for the water to flow. And, th and that's like having, so for example, when someone comes to speak, like Pete Carter next week, he can be the most anointed person in the world and kind of really moving and have seen incredible miracles and his tap may be fully turned on up there, but if our tap is not turned on down here, the water will not flow. You know? And it's like, it is something... The things that happen around us are not necessarily to do with how anointed the person kind of doing whatever it is, is. It's to do with how we pull it out of them. It is how we draw the anointing out of them and how we release the kingdom amongst us by the atmosphere that we create, by that culture of honor. And that's why for five years we've been kind of drumming it home and saying, come on. Let's really encourage one another. When someone gets up and, and kind of begins to give a word or something, don't think, oh, no, it's them again, you know. So uh, there's going to be one of those. No, we kind of pull it. We pull it from them. I, I've proved this myself. I once went to um, hear Isabel Allen, and I decided I was going to get a prophetic word at that meeting. And right from the beginning, I had my phone out with the recorder ready and the... And the um, the button ready to be pushed and sure enough Heather and I were the first people that she pulled up and she began prophesying and I thought I'm going to I'm going to test this tap thing I'm going to see how much I can pull out of her and I just like that with everything that was in me I was kind of hearing it you know it, it says doesn't it if you receive a prophet in a prophet's name you'll get a prophet's reward there is something about receiving the word and pulling it and she went on for living ages didn't she it was like it was great and I would just God, I was pulling and I was pulling come on more 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 but it's true it's true if we will receive one another and th just think the best and think oh my goodness this person sitting next to me is carrying the spirit of God the Holy Spirit dwells in each person within you. So when they lay hands to pray for you, it's not them that's praying. I mean, the Holy Spirit is there. God is within that person. But sometimes the way we look at people and the way that we receive them, we turn our tap off and say, oh, no, it's only Phil. He does that, you know, that's one of his things he does. He gets up and shouts occasionally and all of that stuff. And you can, through low expectation, you can just inadvertently turn your tap off and not receive the things that God has got for you. And so I really want to encourage us as, as a family, as a group of people, God has got good things for us. He really has. I, 
I, I just, you know, I've been going through the most extraordinary time in terms of experiencing the presence of God. And th there's a whole other thing which I, I'll, I will bring to you along the lines of what Bryony was saying about kind of finding this, this place of peace and everything. But God's really spoken to me and really, I, I mean, it is extraordinary at the moment. And I feel convinced that he is literally about to birth something amongst us. But we can just turn our taps off and miss it completely. You know, just like Jacob when he woke up in Bethel and said, oh my goodness, I would, surely I was in the house of God and I didn't even perceive it. I didn't, you know, I didn't realize it. It was only when he went to sleep and started dreaming, he began to be aware that the angels were ascending and descending in that place. And it was very easy not to perceive it and miss what was going on. In, in John 17, 21, Jesus was praying to the Father. He was having a little conversation with his dad. And uh, he was saying, Dad, I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. You know, uh, his Jesus prayer to the Father for us is that we would be one. Because that is how men will know that we are his disciples, if we have love for one another. That is the only thing the outside world sees. If they see us kind of criticizing and judging and uh, whatever, separating ourselves off, doing our own thing, then that is what the world will see. And they will not see that Jesus is in us. Being one and showing love for one another is how we demonstrate, is the primary way that we demonstrate the kingdom. It's not by healing the sick. It's not by raising the dead. It's not by cleansing the leper. It's not by walking on water. It's not even by multiplying five loaves and two fish, which the children are doing right now as we speak. I happen to know, I've had the inside gen, there is the multiplication of food going on down at the end. Um, it's not those things. It's if we have love for one another. It's if, it's if we'll take a bullet for one another. You know, we began to think of those things. In Revelation, it talks about how the believers overcame the enemy. It says, it's by the word of their testimony, by the blood of their lamb, and loving not their lives, even unto death. You know, and we've asked ourselves, what does that mean? Because in the context of Revelation, that's like some of them had their heads chopped off, didn't they, for being persecuted. But I don't think that's the only thing. I don't think that's the only thing. I think it's how much we will give up, how much we will lay down on behalf of someone else, whatever that looks like. So... Where should we go now then? I've got off the beaten track a little bit, but it's good. It's good. In Ephesians 20, Ephesians 2, there isn't an Ephesians 20. I was just <laughs> saying that to see whether you were awake. <laughs> Ephesians 2.20. It says, together we are his house, built on the foundation of of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Okay, you can stop laughing now. 
We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of his dwelling, where God lives by his spirit. You know, our whole, kind of the reason why we're here is built on a foundation of the apostolic, okay? Not, not necessarily on the apostles, but on the apostolic, because God gave us a word and said, there will be a new church. His word was released to Heather and I sort of about almost 30 years ago. And, you know, something kind of got birthed out of that. So we are birthed on the apostolic and the prophetic. Okay, that is kind of what, what came about. We were sent into an, into an area. And, you know, God said, let there be a new church. And it's that prophetic, isn't it, where something's declared that creates something in the spiritual. And, and here we are. We're still here sort of 20, 22, 23 years later from when we started. So we have a foundation on the apostolic and the prophetic. And also Christ is the cornerstone as well. He is the very thing on which we base everything. But it says we, that's kind of us, are his house. We're being built together to house his Holy Spirit. Now, each of us carries the Holy Spirit. Each of us, when we uh, decided to follow Jesus and to give him rule in our lives and said, Lord, I accept you. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. Uh, Please forgive me. And I want you to be Lord of my life and uh, kind of guide me from this point on. At that moment, our spirits were born again and the Holy Spirit came to live within us. And so each one of us carries the Holy Spirit. But here I think he's talking about something else. It says, together we are his house being built together. Being built together. And that's what the church is being built together to house the Holy Spirit. And there is, whilst each of us individually carry the Holy Spirit, I think there is something when we come together where the Holy Spirit can best be permanently manifested and present around us if we are built together and if we are in that spirit of unity. You know, also in Ephesians, it's one of the few areas in the New Testament where it tells us to strive Strive is not a word you normally associate with the New Testament, but it says strive for the unity of the Spirit. That means work hard for the unity of the Spirit because you have to work hard at it. It's a choice. It's, it's not just a kind of a, a wishy feeling that comes over you when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and suddenly you've kind of got this love for one another. I mean, I think there is a multiplication of that that happens when the Holy Spirit comes in power, like it did in the Acts of the Apostles. But actually, it begins with a choice. It begins with a choice to allow ourselves to be built together. And that is what we recognize as being the foundation for a church like ours. You know, for many years, church was built around people who had the same beliefs. And they were called denominations, you know, like the Baptist denomination, like the Methodist denomination, uh, like evangelical denomination. There was all of these things. And those were sets of people who were bound together because they believed the same thing. Like the Baptist believed that you would get baptized by full immersion. And the Methodist 
believed you could smoke but couldn't drink or something. You know, there was kind of different things. Different things that each one had their own different set of views, weren't there? And, you know, while you all believed the same thing, you could stay together. But, oh, my goodness, if you, I mean, let's take the brethren, for example, because they were a set of people bound together with their kind of own views. But if you decided that you wanted to believe in the Holy Spirit and that you could be filled and move in the gifts, well, you may be asked to step outside the congregation in those days. I mean, there are kind of many, we've got many kind of ex-brethren people uh, amongst us uh, now that have uh, got filled with the Holy Spirit and operating the gifts and all of that. But that's what the denominations were. They were people that were bound together by a set of beliefs. And it all works lovely and can demonstrate an incredible unity and unity of purpose uh, when you're together in a denomination like that. But as soon as any disagreement comes about, there's the temptation to break fellowship. Now we're looking at at a church that is like the Ephesians 2.20 verse, where it says, Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The apostolic model of church is much more like a church being bound together because we're family, because God has called us to be family together. And, you know, we can be different. We don't have to have those same beliefs, identical kind of, we believe everything's got to be exactly the same because actually we're family. And just like we said, you know, you may believe something different to your brothers and sisters, but you're still family and you'll still come round the table in uh, Sunday lunch. So to say that the Lighthouse Church is a family church, I would hope to say that it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets uh, in that we are very family-based. We're built on kind of what God has said, what he has revealed to us both through scripture and also through the prophetic word, you know, in terms of leading and guiding us and setting vision. What does that, what does it look like to to be a family? And, uh, you know, I've had a couple of things just recently that have just really made me dig deep about family, you know, spending time with my 90-year-old parents and uh, kind of seeing... (laughs) <laughs> you know, what's going on, the way they lived. I've had to get involved and help. I've, we, we've had to do some, some things that would make your eyes water. We've had to get in and get shopping for them and find out what they want to eat and, and kind of look after them and take care of them and all of that sort of stuff. And there's that, that whole generation which, you know, it, it's very easy for me in my busyness to become slightly detached from. And suddenly you don't know how they work anymore. And you don't know kind of what's going on in their lives. And you've separated yourself out. And, and, and everything becomes a focus on kind of what you're doing at the moment. And then just yesterday, I, I had the deep joy <laughs> of spending time with Jude and my grandson. And we kind of went out in the garden to the bit, get in the snow that was left because he loves it. And he's panning around in his wellies and all of that. And, and I'm looking at him and he's kind of like, well, he's 18 months or 19 months, something like that. And... Um, you know, he's wired completely different, and it suddenly struck me that families, families don't just think of one generation, do they? They, that it, It's just by virtue of who we are. It's a multi-generational thing. You've got, we've got potentially three or four generations going 
at the same time, and each one is at a different phase of life. And as a family, we have to think multi-generationally, you know, in the things that we're doing. It, we can't just think, okay, what, what's good for me? Oh, ch church doesn't do anything for me. You know, I'm, I'm going to go off and go to a nightclub or something. It's, that's kind of much more... Yeah, so was just thinking in pictures there and imagining, <laughs> imagining Phil in a nightclub and dancing around his handbag. But <coughs> no, I probably wouldn't go to a nightclub. Can't stand them. Too noisy. Um, but you know, we have to think this way. We have to think about multiple generations. And you know, the things that we're doing in the church is not just whether I feel good or whether. I'm enjoying myself or I'm create, creating an, an environment that I like, I'm kind of looking, multi, I'm looking at Bryony and Chris, I'm looking at Judah, the three generations, and thinking, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we actually building? Is it, is it just for me? Or is it, or is it for multiple generations? And, and so, you know, one of the things that I feel like God's put inside me it's this desire to connect with the, with the real kingdom of God. You know, where the book becomes real. Where we're not just turning the handle on a, on a religious thing. Where, where we just kind of meet together at half past ten and sing some songs and do, do some talking. But we actually connect with the power of God. And we see the things done that were written in the book. The healing of the sick, raising of the dead, cleansing of the leper, the kind of that stuff, the supernatural stuff. And that is what we are laboring for. And it, it drives some people up the wall. That's why we're doing the conference. Yes, Heather's getting a plug in. Well, we get booked up. There's only 30 tickets left. But it, it's like the, you know, the, for me, without that, why are we doing it? What's it all about? It, I, either we believe the Bible or we don't believe the Bible. And, you know, I kind of look at it and the way that he's speaking to me and the way that he's revealing his presence to me, I know this, the, his heart is for us to step into this. And so I, I feel like we are pioneers. <laughs> we, we are breaking into something that isn't there yet or is just emerging, you know. It's just beginning to break out. But we're breaking through into that, not necessarily for our own sakes, but for the sake of this next generation and for the generation after that and maybe the generation after that. That's why I think God's given us this vision to, to, to have a building where we can train people and equip people to be workers for the harvest. That's why he's put this kind of burning passion. But... You know, it's not just about setting up a secondary school or a, or a college or, or getting information across. The primary thing that we need to do is unlock the supernatural. Unlo get into that place where, where the kingdom, heaven's kingdom's realm becomes as real to us as, as, as the natural realm here. Where we can truly say that we do nothing unless we see the Father do it. We say nothing unless we hear him say it. You know, and I, I have set myself, and I, and I believe, I, I'm not quite sure when it happened, but I have got to the point 
where I have loved not my life even unto death. I have lost who I am because I've become so consumed with seeing this break out around us because I know it's real and I know, you know, this is God's heart for our nation. I know it's what he's called me to do. I know without any shadow of a doubt that this is what we're supposed to be doing. And that's why I will stand up and I will push and I will just confront these spirits of infirmity because I believe he's given us authority to do that. And I want to see the substance begin to break forward. And so I will keep doing it. I will make no apology about it. But that's what we're pushing. That's what we're laboring for. And you know, when the next generation comes along, when your Judas and your Aries and your Elizas and all of these kind of little ones are coming, they're going to be birthed into, you know, they're going to grow up into a realm where these things are normal, and they're going to go even further. They are going to, they're going to see revival properly break out. Right. So, anyway, there we go. I really should look at notes more often because I have no idea what this is now. <laughs> I know. The, the only other thing, the last thing I'll just say is that I, you know, sometimes people get a bit frustrated with me because, you know, have you heard that expression where people say, oh, you're too heavenly minded to be any earthly use? and stuff like that, and I, I get a bit like that because I am so hungry to see the power of God released in, in every aspect, not just healing, not just deliverance, not just evangelism, not just in finance, you know, all of these things. I just want to see the power of God released, and I believe he has tantalizingly kind of put some things in front of me that I am moving Towards And so it does get a bit frustrating because I'm not doing kind of in, in, in some people's eyes the practical things that kind of maybe need to be done because I've put such a weight on what God has said. I want to see it come about. I want to see the miracles released. And I feel like, you know, God spoke to me from, uh, he's been speaking to me about Joshua, you know, taking over leadership and going into the promised land and all of this sort of stuff. And there was this bit, wasn't there, where it said, look, <laughs> God spoke to Joshua and said, look, get the, get the Levitical priests, get them to carry the Ark of the Covenant, go down to the banks of the river and put their feet in the water and stop. That's kind of the only instruction that he gave Joshua. And Joshua kind of rallied all the people together and said, look, get ready. Uh, God's going to do something. Uh, get the Levitical priests together. Come down, put your feet in the water and stop there and you know and and in the background God's saying to Joshua today I'm going to kind of make you a great leader in the eyes of the people it was like there was something that was happening and shifting in that moment they were going from an old paradigm to a new paradigm you know the the old one was the wilderness it was kind of there had been provision there was an old way of doing things there was uh, the manna, there was the quail, there was the water from the rocks. There was none of them got sick during that time, and none of the clothes wore out. It, I mean, it was an amazing time, but they were coming into a new paradigm now. They were going into the promised land, and in that time, the manna stopped, the water from the rocks stopped, a load of stuff just kind of finished, and they had to operate in a different way. And God said to Joshua, Set the Levitical priests up with the ark and tell them to walk on ahead. And 
the rest of the people will follow on behind. And he says, don't get too close. Kind of leave about half a mile or so, so you can still just see it. But follow on behind because you have not been this way before. You have got to follow the presence of God. You've got to follow kind of where he is going and, and stay on behind because you've not been this way before. And I believe God is wanting to birth some quite new things amongst us. And, you know, we've heard a number of people. I, uh, I took a choice um, just recently uh, with Andy and Stubbsy and that we've been along to some uh, prophetic conferences. We saw um, Emma, Emma Stark uh, a few weekends ago and went to Chris Vallotton up at Eastgate last week. And I took a choice to get alongside these people because they're seeing something, they're hearing something, and I want what they've got, you know? It's not necessarily that I, every bit of information is exactly right. It's not. But just getting alongside people who have been there. That's why I'd really encourage you to get along to the Pete Carter thing because this is someone who has broken through in the area of healing. He's seen some really good things happening and it, it's not the information. You may have heard stuff before. This is how you heal. You say this liturgical prayer, you know, kingdom come, heaven be manifested, I rebuke this, whatever. It's not that. It's not the method, but it's sometimes getting alongside someone who has gone there already, someone who is moving in that direction, and you just align yourself. You know, the, there's the great story, isn't there, of Elijah and Elisha. And El, uh, Elijah calls Elisha and says, come and follow me, you know. And he kind of burns his oxen and his plow and and says goodbye to his parents and follows. And he goes along and serves Elijah as his assistant, carrying his bags and looking after him. And he just goes along. And, and then at the end of the kind of ministry time, uh, Eli uh, Elijah says to Elisha, what do you want then? And Elisha says, I want a double portion of what you've got. And he says, you'll have to, you'll have to stay close in order to get that. You've got to stay with me every time. And... You know, three times, if you read that story, Elijah tried to shake him off. He says, oh, I'm going over to Jericho. You stay here. He says, no, no way, Jose. I am sticking to you like glue. I am staying there. And he says, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you come along. And he says, all right, I'm going down to the Jordan. You stay here. And he says, no, I'm with you. Where you go, I'll go. And, you know, he's there. And the story goes that, of course, finally, Elijah's taken up in in a whirlwind and goes into heaven and he leaves his mantle and, and Elijah picks this up and kind of strikes the water with the same mantle and the same things happen. And I, there is something about getting alongside people. That is the family thing. That is the, uh, and Elisha says, my father, my father, the chariots of uh, heaven and the horses and all of that sort of stuff. It was that father relationship. It wasn't actually his son, was it? But he called him father. And I think, you know, that's why God has put us together, in order to kind of see that flow. I need to get alongside people that I want to receive from. You need to get alongside people that you want to receive some from. Where, you know, where do you want to go? Right, kind of get alongside some of those people that have been there before. So, anyway, I think I've done enough. I've 
I think I've covered a lot of the stuff that was in there, and it's 20 past 12, so why don't we just stand? Oh, I thought it'd be really good to just uh, have communion. I put communion out here. Um, so, you know, we've been talking about family, and, you know, here we are at the kind of beginning part of the year, and I think it would just be great to, to, sh- to break bread with one another. You don't have to spend a long time over it. Uh, I know you need to get off and, and do stuff, but... It's, it's just a way of kind of saying, okay, we're breaking bread together. God's put us together. Um, God's uh, given us a call and a vision. Let's kind of stick together. Let's kind of really go for it and give heaven no rest. You know, like it talks about when you're praying for Israel. Give, give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem. Well, let's give him no rest until we see the things that he's promised released amongst us activate that faith within us and let's kind of really stand together bless one another work together look after one another encourage one another uh, but communion's a good way to do that so father thank you thank you for the call that you've put on our lives thank you father that you have given us your word thank you that you you have spoken things into being and you're absolutely amazing and we are so grateful for it I thank you for the incredibly exciting things that are going on at the moment, that it's not just words, there's, there's actually action coming, that, that you are beginning to do things, you're beginning to answer prayers. And I just pray that as we break bread, um, as we take the wine, as we take the uh, bread, that you will begin to open our eyes to what is possible at this time, Lord. That, Father God, you would activate our spirits at this time to just really be jealous for one another to kind of look around and um, kind of just know and be sure that everyone's okay and that if someone needs encouraging that you would just stir us to bring a word of encouragement so come lord come lord will you do it in jesus mighty name amen amen can you whack a little bit of music